0: that ABM is B2B. It's just better marketing. I think I could, I'm gonna say it today because it's getting recorded so you can hold me accountable two years from now. I think there won't be ABM two years from now. Even though I've written two books in ABM is because it will be just better marketing. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing, sales and operations be better at their jobs. Packed with inspiring keynotes and tactical breakouts, B2BMX has blossomed into a must-attend event for anyone in the B2B realm. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. With this series, we'll revisit some of our favorite sessions and have some follow-up conversations with some of the industry's top leaders and innovators. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast.
1: Is ABM really B2B? or is it merely a tactic or new way to approach B2B marketing. Hi, I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand Gen Report. And these questions were part of an ongoing discussion at B2B SMX in Boston, sparked by Sangram Vadri, the Accidental Evangelist at Terminus and Flip My Funnel. And what I really loved about Sangram's session is that he used an unlikely source of inspiration, parenting of all things, to break down how marketers can go from good to great, using ABM as the foundation of it all. I hope you enjoy the session as much as I did, and that it inspires you to possibly look into ABM for your organization. Let's dive in.
0: All right, so we're gonna start off with what we have always done. How many of you have ever been to a Flip My conference? A lot of you, you guys know what we're about to do, right? No need to stand or anything like that, but you can just elbow out the people that you don't like next to you. But in general, we're gonna start with a slow clap, all right? I'm gonna slow clap thinking about what New Story is doing and building homes for people who don't even know what a home means and, and they're just longing for that. That's such a cool story, so let's just start. Just follow me along, all right? Just get your hands as wide as you can and just follow through. Ready, go? One, two, three. Make as much noise you can now that you're here. Woo! There you go. Awesome. All right, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Andrew. This is always fantastic to to be here and talk through these things. So, my whole talk is around ABM is B2B. As Andrew said, I wrote the first book on ABM, and I realized four years later that ABM actually has changed. And there's a whole story around that, so I'm gonna just share like what happened in the last four years since we wrote the very first book, but I'm also gonna share four interesting things today. Number one, I'm gonna share something about parenting. How many of you are parents? All right, you're gonna hate me after this. Uh, So between parenting and marketing, what's the difference there? Number two, I'm gonna share a framework a framework that I feel has fundamentally changed the way I think about marketing and sales. I think in many ways, ABM has been a disservice to the industry, because when we say ABM, it always means that while well, marketing is doing something, right, and how many of you are in sales here? All right, so that just makes sound like, well, sales is just gonna be a sidekick. No, 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 sales has to be there with you, and if they're not there, it's not gonna be a win, and I've seen that at least a thousand times. Uh, in the last four or five years. So that's number two. Number three, I'm going to share four quick stories, not detail into it because all the four people are speaking at different sessions today, so you can just join them. But there are four stories where these companies have actually gone from good to great. And I want to share those at a high level just because I want any, everybody to walk out of this session thinking that they can do it. There is SMB, if you might be a mid-sized company, you might be an enterprise company, you might be a fast growth company, you might have pipeline stuck, maybe you have expansion deals, whatever might be the case, there's gonna be a story connected with that. So, so just pay attention to those, and if there is none, nothing, not a use case that connects with you, find me after that, because I wanna know what is the use case you are running that I haven't seen in a thousand customers, all right? And then lastly, and this is probably the most important thing, I want to share a question with you. A question that I want you to wrestle with the whole time. Because this question, the answer to this question, will buy, I think will be changing the way you do marketing and sales in your organization. So those are the four things. So if I skip any one of them, just hold me accountable for it. So let's get started. First of all, good to great. How many of you have written, or read, not written, read good to great? All right, so maybe you can answer this question. What is greatness? And the people who answer the question, we're going to give up, I think Betsy over there has copies of the book, so we'll, we'll give copies of Define greatness for me. Who wants to go? I'm starting, any eye contact I'm going to pick up on you. What do you think greatness is? Uh,
1: how about Tom Brady in
0: the New England Patriots? Ooh, Tom Brady, there you go. That's the right thing. All right, who else? What is, what do you, how do you define greatness? Several levels above others. Several levels above others. All right? So if you think about it, the way Jim Collins defines it, he says greatness is a choice. Now think about that for a second. It's a 100% choice and it's 100% relevant to you. What's great to you might be status quo to somebody else. And what's status quo to you might be great for somebody else. So it really depends. So so when I walk through those four stories, I want you to think about what greatness means to them and then align that with what greatness means to you. All right, so first thing, let's get into parenting. That's my parenting maturity curve. So that's my son, Krish. He and I, were uh, we had to stay together last uh, November for about a month, 30 days together, because my mother-in-law wasn't doing well. And thankfully, she's fine now, but my, my wife and my daughter had to go to India for about 30 days. And I was kind of shocked. Like, I think at this point, he's going to find out I'm not as cool of a dad as he thought he, I was, right? And it's an embarrassing fact, but the first thought that went through my mind was, man, can we get a 24-7 babysitter and nanny to help? I know it's very embarrassing, and, but that was a choice moment for me. And I stopped traveling that whole month. I'm like, I'm not gonna travel. I'm trying to work from home as many days as possible so we can do all the things we need to. But that was a moment where I had to, to make a choice, a choice that I didn't face. And I had like either a stand up for it or I just back down from it. So in process, I ended up creating our personal, because I'm a marketer, a maturity curve and wanted to see where it is. And disclaimer, results may vary. So don't try it at home if it doesn't make sense to you. All right, so real quickly, we went through, my wife met me, she told me three things. All right, number one, make sure he's inside the house, safe and all those things. Make sure you feed him so he doesn't go hungry. Like, I think I can do that. And then like, just play with it, make sure that you are there because I have been traveling so much and I wasn't always present and that was on me, right? I'm like, okay, I can do that. But as we started thinking about watching TV, I could have done what most parents probably would do. His seven-year-old watching TV and movies like Finding Nemo but I'm a die-hard Rocky fan. So, we watched the entire series of Rocky, and now he and I talk about, Adrian, I love you. I don't know if you, anybody has seen the Rocky movie. Like, we would do that in the hallway, and my wife would be like, what are you talking about? Well, that's what we would do. Uh, the other thing, when we talk about feeding, he's like, I asked him like, Chris, what do you like to eat? And he's like, well, I love pancakes. I'm like, okay. One day, what we would do is like, we're gonna have pancakes, epic pancakes for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Guess what he said the next day? Papa, I love your pancakes, Plus, please don't cook for another 30 days. Right? So if you have a coworker who asks you a lot of questions or need a lot of things, just send them so much that they would say, don't send me anymore or don't help me anymore. Right? But I learned a valuable lesson like, all right, I can do these things. Finally, this is, this is kind of my favorite. You know he's not a Xbox or just a gamer. He 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 really loves to be outdoors, and I love to jump off the planes. So moms in the room, like, don't worry, we didn't jump off the plane. But I wanted to have that experience for him. So what I did was, you know what? We're going to go to this place called indoor skydiving, and that was really cool. It was like literally you lie down on the ground, and the air literally pulls you up a little bit, and it was fantastic. And I still remember he saying right after that experience for 30 days, of course we went to school, we studied, not just all fun, but he said to me, he looked at me and said, Papa, I love you. And the way he said it, I knew that he meant it. And that's a very different experience and I thought, man, what am I doing? I'm like I've not been a good dad. And in order for me to be a better one, it was a choice. And I'm so glad I made that choice for those 30 days. So what I'm about to go through Is looking at all this is like what? How do we change these things? But what I want to do is apply the same thing for marketing, and say how do we go from status quo to 1.0 to 2.0? You guys ready for this? All right, let's go through it. So before that, I want you to share with me. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and we're going to play some music. But I'm going to share with your neighbor what does great marketing mean to you. Go. did this, we did like a two hour workshop where I had a whole bunch of people share what that meant, but we don't have time for that today. So I'm gonna just share what a lot of people have shared when I've done this presentation and maybe some of these are the same questions, or maybe the words are a little bit different, but are probably the same thing that you're thinking about. It's about engagement, creating epic experiences, storytelling, creating personalization experiences for everybody, the human interaction that goes, creating those magic moments where you want to feel, the customer wants to feel that you care, that you are a priority for them, right? So those are the things. What's interesting is, I also put a, a LinkedIn message this few days ago, which was, ABM is dot, dot, dot. And over 100,000 people viewed that, and over 500 or 600, I don't know how many comments there are now, but at that time, it was over 400 comments. And people had all kinds of answers, and when I mapped that, it mapped exactly to this. Now think that for a second. That just means that ABM is not a tool not a tactic, but a way to build a strategy for your organization that you can win big. And it is the best and better way of doing marketing and sales. So I was surprised to see that, oh my goodness, so many people are saying the same thing. It's not like your marketing automation, it's not like email marketing, it's not like all the technology tools that we all have worked on for years, but it is the way to do it. And it's not even marketing in it, it's the account-based strategy. So when I think about the four-year journey from the very first book I wrote, this was 2016, and at that time, I focused fully on this idea of better acquisition. That was the whole point of account base. Is like, if you can find the right people, go after the right accounts, engage on their terms, you can get them, and those are the right customer. Makes sense. If as a follow three, like 2017, I think this idea started popping more and more, start focusing on pipeline velocity. You know what, most companies don't have a demand problem, they actually have a pipeline problem. If you can get your pipeline to move a little bit faster, you close way more deals at a much higher rate, and you don't have to get as many leads as you need today to drive at the top of the funnel. But that was the big thing, and that was a new lesson for me. One year fast forward, what was interesting was account expansion. There are customers and stories coming out out of nowhere saying that, hey look, we're using this account-based strategy and I'm gonna stop calling it account-based marketing now, account-based strategy that's helping us close more deals. There are companies where 80% of the revenue come from 20% of their customers, or they have this one flagship product that actually drives the majority of the revenue. They're like, we need to tell the story of other products to these companies and these customers so we can drive more revenue. And what's really interesting and what was evident at the end of the day was that ABM is B2B. It's just better marketing. I think, I could, I'm gonna say it today because it's getting recorded so you can hold me accountable two years from now, I think there won't be ABM two years from now. Even though I've written two books in ABM, it's because it will be just better marketing. It will be the be- way companies operate and operationalize their marketing and sales. So let's go through this framework. I wanted, this is the framework, this is the second part that I wanna share with you, was the framework. This fundamentally changed the way I have seen organizations operate, and are actually winning in their organization. The way this works is very simple. First of all, you take the M out of it. It is not about marketing. It is about marketing and sales and customer success, three teams working together. Number two, it's very simple. Target, engage, activate, measure, team. The word team has a lot of good vibes coming out of it. Go and talk to your sales team and say, hey, let's work on these accounts together. Let's figure out which accounts to target together So now you're talking their language. And then which accounts and how are we gonna engage with them? Not that I can run webinars and stuff, no, no. What makes sense with these accounts that matter? So the process matters, target first, and then engage. And then how do I activate you, sales leader? Activation is not email campaigns to, uh, to your future customers. Activation is how do you activate your sales team. I think that's what I missed. When I ran marketing at Pardot and we were at Salesforce uh, a couple of years, I think that's what I missed the most. We were not activating the sales team. And you can't win in ABM if you are doing any close to ABM without activating your sales team. So it's really important, and then measure and iterate on it. So very simple framework, but it has changed the way you can have a conversation not only with your sales team, but also at the board level. Imagine going to your organization, your CFO and CEO say, hey look, I know you think marketing spends all this money on technology, here are the tools we are using for target, here are the tools we are gonna use for engage and activate and measure. Changes the conversation. I've seen so many stories around it. So what we're gonna do is use the same maturity curve, now I'm gonna call it B2B, and use this target, engage, activate and measure to share the stories of companies, the four companies to go from good to great, all right? And then again, all of them are here, so you can actually spend time with them later on. Anybody know this guy? Of course, right? So in one of the recent interviews on Flip on a Podcast, I interviewed Seth, and Seth said something that I think I could have said it better. I think he was talking about ABM. He didn't know he was talking to ABM because he doesn't care about account-based marketing as much, but he was talking about AB in the best sense possible. He said, look, most people think they have unlimited market to go after. Now, Don't raise your hand, because I know every time I've asked, hardly anybody has raised their hand on this one. But if you have the answer, come and talk to me later on. How many of you know your total addressable market? Exactly the number of accounts. If you close them, you're going to win, and you're going to have great month, great quarter. And every time I've gone through workshops, I've never seen anybody say, I know exactly how many accounts I have. Very few, very few, unless they have 10, 20, 30 accounts. And that actually is the reason why we need 10,000 leads at the top, not the right leads in the right accounts. So you need leads, but you need them in the right accounts. So it was really interesting when, uh, when he talked about this. This is an example of a company called Masergy. They're really good at lead generation. They're getting 25,000 leads every single year, and they're, they're fine. They're fantastic, but they had a sales and marketing disconnect. Sales and marketing wasn't working really well. And what they did was, I think what majority of you are probably if you're in this phase of 1.0, is that let's find our top 100 accounts and go after them. Or let's find our 50 accounts, or let's find around this financial services industry, let's just find a few and make sure that sales and marketing aligns on it and we start going after them. And as I said, there are stories like this shared in in, in, in all of these sessions. So what they saw was incredible win rate, incredible success, but even more important, even more important than, than how much engagement they were getting was this idea when their CEO said, oh my goodness, why are you running this only on 100 accounts? Can you create an always-on program for me so that we can run it across every single target account? Think about the power in that, where a CEO says, how much money do you need in order to run it across the entire list of target accounts? We need to go that, not just those 100. And the reason they were able to do that is because they saw five times more engagement, and this was the most beautiful thing. Their NPS score, the net promoter score, went from 70 to 90%. The reason it went from 70 to 90% is because they were able to personalize and tailor on just a few and not everybody else. And those customers are like, oh my goodness, we didn't know you have other products. We didn't know you had all these services. Thank you so much, we want to buy them. And they were able to create more engagement with their existing customers. So if you have high lead volume, and if you are driving expansion, this is a really interesting story to think about. This can change the economics of your business and your organization. So right, let's go through one more. All right, goldfish, how many of you have heard this, where it said, hey, the attention span is less than a goldfish, and I think the goldfish attention span, I don't know who measured it, is about eight seconds. How many of you have heard this? All right, all of us? Think about this for a second. Well, I don't know enough about goldfish, but I know I bench watch Netflix and listen to podcasts, and I do certain things for hours. The reality is, our content sucks. And that's why our customers and future customers are not spending time on it. So instead of optimizing just more of, the con- more of the pages, maybe we should create more content. Like I cannot do anything, I cannot pay any amount of money to get 100,000 views on a post on LinkedIn today. It is just not possible. It's just one simple thing and it connected. You never know what's gonna connect, but the idea is how do you create engaging content? Right, So I think we have to agree with ourselves and understand that, look, our content may not be as good, and that's why people aren't engaging. But here's a story I want to share of Pramada, And Jeremy is here, so you should catch him later on. He's speaking at another session uh, from Pramada. But here's what happened, and tell me what you would do if this was your organization. Their traffic dropped by 70% when they started doing ABM. Let me say that again for people who didn't hear that. Their traffic dropped by 70% to their website when they started with ABM. Why do you think that is? Say it. They were not getting the right accounts. So what happened was, before they started ABM, they were running many campaigns to try to get as many people to the website as possible. year into ABM, they were only focused on the accounts that they cared about. So, the pipeline was going up, the revenue of the organization was going up, but the traffic dropped by 70%. Now, if I'm in that, and I've done this in board meetings where we would show, hey, here's the traffic going up and to the right, and this is great, marketing is doing awesome, but the reality is, and this is where it's gonna hopefully shocks you, like the metrics that you are using every single day, they may not be relevant anymore if you're truly doing account-based. In their case, the traffic dropped, and when they dug deeper, what happened with those? They found that, oh my goodness, Now we have the traffic from the right accounts. We don't need, we didn't have the 70% traffic. That didn't matter anyway. And what was also interesting is, and this also might be a big lesson for anybody if you want to take away another thing from this one is this is it. They had 22 different tools in their MarTech stack that they were using. They ended up dropping their cost of acquisition by 60% by having only six tools. So what account-based marketing or account-based strategies and B2, better B2B can help you do is actually challenge the basic metrics that you thought were holy and they said, hey, there's, nobody's gonna touch this, they're gonna change. And you're gonna hear from Daniel, you're gonna hear from Jeremy later on that the metrics that you measure may no longer be valid. Simple as literally traffic to your website, but not from the right accounts, you have to ask this very important question. So what? So what if we have 10,000 downloads? Are they the right accounts? So what if we have 10,000 people on our website? Are they from the right accounts? That will change the way you think and look at metrics. In their case, they drop, and that tech stack is all they needed. Imagine a conversation with your CFO saying, hey, look, we're going to drop it, and our cost of acquisition is going to go down now, and we're going to still have more pipeline revenue. I'm pretty sure Jeremy got a pay raise after that. He didn't tell me anything about it, by the way, and I didn't get anything from him either. activate. That's Megan. Meg said to me this very interesting thought that I didn't really consider. She said, my title is account executive, not a lead executive. So if any one of you are still thinking, well, I'm not sure if account-based thing is a real thing, look at and talk to your sales team. All of their titles are account executives, which means they've always looked at accounts. They have never looked at leads. The reason they don't follow through all the leads that marketing give them is because you're not giving them the leads in the right accounts. You change that little thing, and it will change the game for her. So it was very profound for her when she said, my title is an account executive, not a lead executive. So let me share an example of Thompson writers. Jillian is here from Thompson, and she has a whole session around this. And she, like everybody else, marketing automation, uh, focusing on how many leads we get, activating sales by just purely giving them the list. But she was tasked with 250 accounts and said, we need to create unbelievable win rate with these 250 accounts. So her whole job was to figure out, her whole team's job was to create amazing expansion deals. Guess what her win rate was by focusing on just 250 accounts at a big company like Thomson Reuters. Pick a number, what do you think their win rate was? Daniel, I know you know. You can't tell that. Go ahead, just pick a number. 50%. 50%, go higher. Say again. 7, 74 go higher. We're even scared to go higher for somebody else's win rate. Think about that for a second. Go higher. And this is a real story, you're gonna meet her. Say again. 95. 95, there you go, you get a book. All right, 95. Their win rate is 95%, folks. What will it take for you to have that kind of win rate and go to your board or executive team and say, hey, look, if you focus and did certain things, you're going to have 95% win rate. That is unheard of, almost unreal, and that's why I wanted to make sure that the people that I'm talking about are actually at this conference and doing sessions. So you can ask them how they did that. This is not some philosophy or strategy out there. This is actually how people are driving revenue, getting promotions, and having incredible careers out there. So I want to make sure that you guys recognize the power of getting account-based and making sure that it's better marketing and better sales organization. All right, last one. Since we're in Boston, I interviewed Brian Halligan. Um, most of you guys probably know. He's the CEO, co-founder of HubSpot. And he said to me, this is really profound, he said, hey look, great companies create business model innovation, not product innovation. Think about that for a second from an example of Snowflake. I and mean, Hermie is speaking today as well from Snowflake. They're probably running the, high scale, the highest scale campaign that I've seen in ABM um, of sorts. So definitely check out her session. But they had inbound and outbound, just like everybody. And more interestingly, what they started to do was 500 concurrent campaigns one-on-one, which means one ad, one message, one landing page, that's not form fill, one direct mail, sales working on one persona at a time, and adding more personas as they go. When I say one-to-one, the level of depth in it is phenomenal. And their open rate and click-through rates on their emails, their ads, their messaging, it's just crazy because they know who they're going after. So their ad will literally put the name of the company they're going after. So when they go to that particular website, that landing page, it is about that company. Their engagement rate, people are spending time on their website, which we all know is a currency. But here's what Daniel Day said, which was was something that I was like, wow, this is how it should be. He said that I'm, I'm able to do two things that I never thought I'll be able to do. Number one, I'm able to go and tell my sales team where they should hire salespeople because I know, based on fit and intent, how many accounts we have in that region. So if you want to double our sales numbers and you want to hire people, let me tell you we should hire two salespeople in Boston because I know we have 100 accounts in Boston and we can support that. He can do that with fit and intent data. He said, I thought I would never be able to do that. But here's even more interesting. He's able to help salespeople with probably the most challenging thing ever, which is how many deals are we really going to close this month? So what he's able to do is look at all the analytics and be able to say, oh, um, well, let's just uh, let's say, what's your name? Ally. 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 All right. Let's say you're a salesperson and say you have 50 accounts I want to close, and you said I'm very optimistic, like most salespeople are. We're going to close all 50 of them, right? And Daniel is able to come to you and say, Ali, there are only five accounts that are spending time on our website I can look at in all the analytics that I'm getting from these four or five tools. And these five accounts are the ones that have the highest propensity to buy from us. So let's prioritize on these five and let's forecast on these five. And on all, all the 45, they're gravy. Imagine what will change in the forecasting for your sales and marketing organization. So I think marketers today have more power than ever did, and these are real stories and real people here at the conference sharing these specific examples. But don't let me miss this point, though. When we go through this whole maturity curve, and and all this is in the book, and there are like 350 copies of the book uh, around, we don't miss this point that it is 100% starts with where where you are and figuring out what you want to improve. So the fourth and final thing, I shared you the, with you the parenting stuff. I shared the uh, the IDF team framework. I shared the four stories. Let me just connect the dots between parenting and marketing real quick. If you are 1.0, I realized with my kids that mom and dad had to be aligned, and I want Krish to be in as many activities as he needs to, right? Because his like eight. That's fine. That's the same thing for marketing and sales. You may have ton of different, ton of different tools in your technology right now in your MarTech stack, and that's perfectly fine, and that's what you might need right now. But over a period of time, you're going to change. And as a 2.0, dad and mom, I think what we need to do is act as one team, so our kids know that, hell, you, like, you know, we have the same philosophy and stuff, so they they know there's no crack. They know exactly what we mean when we say yes or no or go there, they're never able to figure it out. But also means that I want my son to be the Michael Jordan of whatever sport he wants to go in, which means we may have to go to fewer activities as opposed to all. I think it's no different than 2.0 marketing and sales. I think you might be surprised to, to figure it out that you're gonna work at marketing and sales as one team, not ABM or ABS or ABX or whatever. It is one team. And number two, you'll be surprised pleasantly, so will your CFO and CEO, that you might actually need less tools than you thought. So here comes the final question. The one question that I want you all to wrestle with. And it's very simple, but probably is the game changer. And this is what I think every one of those stories are actually all about. What matters to you? Does it matter to you that you have a better targeting? Does it matter to you that nobody reads your newsletter and we still keep sending the newsletters to them? Does it matter to you that people spend time on the website because the messaging connects with you? And does it truly matter that sales and marketing have the same KPI and metrics? If those things don't matter, I think we can skip the rest of them and just go in in the slot machines over there. But if those things do matter, I would say that pick where you are. Self-identify where you are on this team maturity, B2B maturity curve. And then for the next 10 days, next 30 days say, I'm gonna figure out better targeting with my sales team. That's all, you don't have to do everything. Or, oh we got targeting, I'm gonna figure out how do I better engage with my customers. Or I'm gonna just figure out how do I activate my sales team because without them I can't be successful. Or maybe you just focus on your measurement. But whatever it is, you have to start figuring it out and just dial in a little bit more for the next 10, 15 days. Can we do that? All right, All right. so I think that, that, that covers it. You can listen to the podcast. If you need the slides or a copy of the book, you can text to uh, 33777. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe to your Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2BPOD. That's B2B P-O-D. We hope to see you there.